We're going to go to our last lesson. This is lesson five in the series that we're on uh, during the Christmas season. And uh, I, I think it's just been a real blessing to me. Um, I feel like the, the things that have been pointed out in the lessons have been um, very helpful. There have been things that I had not considered before. And I hope that um, today will be the same kind of, um, have the same kind of result that we'll, it will cause us to stop and think and, and appreciate <clears throat> what the Lord has done for us. And the lesson this morning is, is called Honoring Christ in Christmas. And our lesson today, the purpose of our lesson, is to help us to focus on what really matters. And, and I know all of us do try to do that. Um, there's nothing really new here because I believe that all of us are really trying to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas time. But um, we're going to look at some uh, familiar passages, some that we've already looked at, but we're going to emphasize uh, other portions of the passages, focusing on the way these participants in the first coming of Christ worshiped and praised the Lord. And I think that will be an encouragement to us. And of course, you're familiar <clears throat> with, let me see here, my slides, see which, what is the purpose of Christmas? And of course, we've kind of covered that already, and that was the memory verse. And so we're going to begin looking at Mary's praise to God, and we're going to go back through some of these familiar passages, focusing on how these biblical characters reacted to the news of the coming of a Messiah and how they praised God, and, and I believe it will be a blessing to you. Um, just prior to the passage that we're going to look at right here, um, we read that this is uh, where Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth now was going to bear a son who would be uh, the, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He would prepare the way for the Lord. He would prepare a people for the Lord, and that, of course, was John the Baptist, and uh, we were told a number of things about his birth. Uh, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Uh, and it, it was a very important meeting. And uh, so when, uh, when Mary greeted her cousin, the Bible tells us that the baby John leaped in her womb um, when he recognized this was the mother of the promised Messiah. And, of course, that's the Holy Spirit uh, uh, doing that in that regard. <clears throat> Elizabeth immediately recognized her, uh, Mary, as the mother of the promised Messiah. And after Elizabeth's exuberant exclamation, uh, Mary responded with a song of praise. And Elizabeth spoke well of Mary, calling her blessed and praising her faith in God's promises. And Mary immediately and humbly returns the praise to God, magnifying his name and recognizing that she would be called blessed because of his goodness, what God had done for her. And so we'll look in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And this again is Mary's response after um, Elizabeth's uh, praise to the Lord. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Wow, that's the very first thing that I want on my list when it comes to honoring Christ. I want my soul to magnify the Lord. And as Mary uttered these words, um, 
she was speaking from her heart. She said, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She recognizes from the very beginning the purpose of this child. This child is the Savior, the promised Messiah. In fact, his name means Savior. All right, and so she calls him my uh, rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And she she turns that back to God in her praise uh, that it is because of His goodness that I am being called blessed. For He that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. Wait, what did she just say? He showed strength with his arm. What is she quoting? Is that Isaiah 53.1? You think? Remember we talked about Isaiah 53.1 a couple of weeks ago. Isaiah 53.1 says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And what does she say? He hath showed strength with his arm. I have seen the arm of the Lord. And God has chosen her and blessed her and used her to bear the Son of God in human flesh. And he has scattered the proud in the imagination of the hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled uh, the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent, uh, sent empty away. He hath holpen with his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever." In her song of praise to God, she is recounting all the promises that God made in his word through the patriarchs and through the prophets that this Jesus would be born, where he would be born, and what he would do. And as you read the Old Testament, sometimes some people struggle with the Old Testament. But if you have a good working knowledge of the Gospels, as you read across the Old Testament especially the prophets, you will see the very words that Jesus uttered and that were recorded in the New Testament are word for word in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets prophesied, this is what he would say. James brought this out in a message uh, last, recently, I don't know when, um, but talking about the very words um, and Jesus' very response was all called for in the Old Testament. Remember, he used uh, the verse about a, a smoking flax and a bruised reed would he not uh, injure, uh, and he wouldn't get out into the streets and proclaim things. He was very quiet and um, reserved, and in fact, many times and several times, after performing a great miracle, he would tell them, don't tell anybody, all right? And that's all Old Testament prophecy. And here Mary recalls all of these things in her song of praise to the Lord. And <clears throat> it's a beautiful song. And I love to read these, uh, this, pas- this passage of scripture here. Her response about being chosen to bear the Messiah. And so Mary's praise declared that God is holy. 
<coughs> excuse me, that he's merciful, that he's strong, that he's sovereign, that he's faithful. He is a covenant maker and a promise keeper. All right. He exalts the humble. He humbles the proud. He provides. He protects. He judges. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have gone through the hearts and minds of Mary and Joseph as they think, how will we provide for this child? This, this is a very special child. How are we going to provide for this child? What's expected? All right. And yet Mary says he provides. He protects. He judges. He is the Savior. Jesus had not yet been born, but Mary declared him to be his sa her Savior. Mary knew that his, his arrival would cause celebration. John leapt for joy. Mary exclaimed her wonder at it all, and Mary praised the Lord. What a way to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in our praise and our prayer uh, during the Christmas season. Then we come to the next character that we've already studied, and that's Zacharias and his prophecy. You remember when the angel reported to him that he and his wife, too, were going to have a special uh, son who was given by the Lord, who had a special mission that was prophesied from the Old Testament time up until the current time, that he would be the, the, the one who would prepare a people for the Lord. He would be the one that would proclaim the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This, too, was a very special announcement. And you remember, because Zacharias asked for a sign, his sign, his sign was he was mute uh, throughout the whole thing. He couldn't speak a word until the day it was the time to name the son. And they were trying to pick a name. And John got asked for a board, and he wrote, his name, wrote it down and said, His name is John. And after he had done that, his mouth was loosed, and he proclaimed. He prophesied <clears throat> about the coming Messiah and about how God was going to use his son. And so in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79, these are the first words that, that uh, Zacharias uh, utters. Uh, prophetically about his son and the Messiah. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath, praised, uh, he hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Here again, he reminds everyone present this is the promised Messiah from the seed of David, all right? And he's come to save his people. God has kept his word. All the words of the prophets are going to be fulfilled. Jesus has not been born yet. And yet he's speaking <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a tense that suggests it's done. When it comes to God's promises, uh, they're done, all right? And so he, again, 
uh, reviews all the promises that the Lord had made regarding the coming of the promised Messiah. And now in verse 76, he turns to his own son. And he says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. From on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Old Testament prophecy. And Zacharias celebrated the coming of the Messiah by extolling God's mercy, God's redemption, and God's deliverance. God provided all of these things in the birth of Jesus Christ. And he recognized that his son would be blessed to serve the Messiah by preparing a people for his public appearance. And like Mary, he celebrated the coming Savior prior to the night of his birth. Jesus hasn't been born yet, and yet they're rejoicing, they're praising God for the promises that God has made and the evidence that he is fulfilling those promises. Then we come... <clears throat> to the angels and the shepherds. And again, we talked at length about this passage, but <clears throat> we want to take a moment <clears throat> again and focus on the worship and the praise and the rejoicing of those who participated. All right? And so in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now listen to his announcement. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Very important. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Think about the angel's announcement. He announces three things that are very significant. Well, actually more than that, but announcing the birth of Christ, calling it good news of great joy. And he identified this baby as, as the Savior, as Christ, as Lord. All of that was announced in the angel's uh, announcement to the shepherds that night. And now verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We don't know exactly where this took place. Were the angels there visibly on the surface of the earth or where the windows of heaven opened and the shepherds got to see worship in heaven. Either way, it doesn't make any difference. They got to see worship in heaven. And these angels were singing and rejoicing. We say they were singing. The Bible doesn't say specifically that they were singing, but I definitely believe they were uh, because singing is so prominent in heaven. God loves music. All right, and I believe their praise 
was in the form of song and uh, that they were singing and praising God. And uh, often in the Psalms, they are one and the same. And uh, so we, I assume that they were singing their praise. Um, but it says, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And notice the shepherds. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and was told unto them. Can you imagine their excitement? Can you imagine the things that they were saying? Not only had they seen worship in heaven and had a special announcement by an angel uh, to tell them of this great event, but they had seen the promised Messiah. And we told you before that these were the least likely of folks to receive that message first. Because what? Society considered them sinners because they were not able to participate in all of the religious activities at the temple. And yet the announcement came to them. And so their hearts were overflowing with praise and in glorifying God for what they had seen. They had seen the salvation of all mankind. And you know, uh, the angels proclaimed um, goodwill toward men, peace and goodwill toward men. Uh, we told you last time that peace was a relationship between God and man. That relationship had been broken by sin in the Garden of Eden, and that relationship was broken, and now that possibility has been restored by the birth of Jesus Christ and ultimately his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, but he was, he was the one um, that, that provided that relationship. And, of course, goodwill toward men. I think it's more than just uh, human felicity, everybody being happy with one another, a big group hug. I think it's more than that. I think it's the relationship of man with God and that goodwill. And to, to uh, take it even one step further, don't forget the promise that's been given to you as a New Testament Christian, New Testament believer. You've been invited to come boldly before the throne of grace. That would never have been possible without Jesus Christ's first coming and his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. Now we are called to come boldly before the very throne of grace because of this babe that was born uh, in Bethlehem. And so great news. The angels join the multitude and uh, they're there praising God. The shepherds uh, seek out the child and join in the celebration. And there was great joy and uh, uh, praise and worship as a result of this announcement. And then we come to another individual we've already referred to, and that's Simeon. And Mary and Joseph now have gone to the temple after the child is eight weeks old. 
Um, they are to bring the child to the temple and there is to be a sacrifice. And the law lays out what sacrifices are acceptable. And for the very poor, it was two pigeons, all right? And that's what Mary and Joseph had prepared to offer uh, for the Lord because of their, uh, of their, their, their financial estate. But while they're there, Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit into the temple and he finds the child and we hear his praise and reaction when he sees Jesus for the first time. And so in Luke chapter 2 verse 28, it says, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This was a salvation of all men, not just Israel. Israel has fumbled and dropped the ball, haven't they? Uh, and, and they were the chosen people. They were the ones that were given the message first. But as you've seen throughout these announcements, the Gentiles are mentioned repeatedly and that the salvation that this babe brings is for all men. And so Simeon praises God for his faithfulness and his truthfulness. Once again, he's a promise keeper. He had promised Simeon that he would see the promised Messiah, and God kept his word. And, and Simeon, of course, uh, praises God for that answer uh, to that great promise. And not only was it a promise to Simeon, but it was to uh, Israel and to all people, the Gentiles included. And this was salvation for all people. And Simeon acknowledged that and recognized it. And then we come to another uh, person in, uh, at the temple. I don't think we've done much, said much about Anna. Uh, I think I may have skipped uh, over her just a little bit. Um, but Anna gives thanks as well. And so we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 now. And we're introduced to her. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, in the tri uh, of the tribe of Aser. And uh, she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. The Holy Spirit confirmed who this child was in an instant. And her response was an instant response. She gave thanks instantly. And she gave it thanks, uh, that thanks to God. Once again, praising God for his promises and the looking forward to the redemption in Israel. And so here's another person uh, coming, uh, celebrating the coming of Christ and proclaiming it to others that salvation had come. And uh, Anna gave thanks to God and shared her joy with others. And then we come to the wise men. Now, uh, you, there is probably the lesser known account of the, the wise women 
you probably have not heard about that, uh, but they brought gifts of Pampers, formula, and baby lotion, uh, but that's for another time. We'll just use that for another time. That may not be accurate. Um, all right, but I just thought I would share that. Um, but we have the wise men who come to worship him. And remember, we, we learned uh, that they were from the east. They may have used writings from Daniel while he was um, in exile, uh, not, not in exile, but in captivity, uh, and uh, may have used that. Uh, they were probably uh, the philosophers and the theologians of the day, and they were familiar with that, and they knew to look. And by the way, uh, in this day and time, there wasn't a lot of light pollution, and so they studied the skies regularly, and they knew a great deal about the heavens. Uh, and in fact, if you do a little research, there are some who even suggest that the gospel is in the stars. And uh, of course, that's been perverted a little bit for horoscopes. Um, but I've got a couple of books in my library that say the gospel is in the stars, all right? And so they studied the stars, and they studied the heavens, and they studied perhaps the writings of, of um, whoever I just said. Who did I just say? Who? Daniel. Okay. Whew. Thank you. Oh, that's painful sometimes, all right? Uh, I hear it gets worse, all right? Um, but uh, they studied those things. And they were able to discern this is something new. And we don't hear that anybody else saw the star that the wise men saw. But they saw it. They understood it. They interpreted it. They followed it. And it had special features in that it gave them directions exactly to where they were to go. And so we're in Matthew chapter 2. And in verse 1, we'll read their account once again. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Herod says, I didn't get a star. What, what are you talking about? And so um, they ask him, Where is he born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and We've come to worship him. And Herod the king uh, heard these things. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Art not the least among the written uh, uh, the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east has reappeared. And it went before them and until it came and stood over where the young child was. It showed them the very house where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And now notice their worship. And when they were come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary his mother, 
and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed uh, into their own country another way. The wise men were looking for the king of the Jews in order to worship him. That's why they came. They came to worship him. And when the star reappeared and led them to Bethlehem, uh, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they worshiped him and gave him extravagant gifts. Also, just a way of, uh, to make sure you understand, they didn't come the night that Jesus was born. Uh, we, we believe, just using our, our thinking abilities, um, that they had to have come after Mary and Joseph had offered the sacrifice in the temple because they gave the offering of the poor to pigeons, all right? And so they had to have come after that, sometime between 41 days and two years because that's when Herod ordered the baby boys to be killed. So somewhere in that time period, these wise men appear. And... Uh, uh, they came and worshipped the, the, the promised king. They were aware, and they came with the purpose of worship, and their worship included gifts. You know, uh, we've read these passages, and we see that his first coming was celebrated in different ways. It was celebrated by re, re, recounting the promises of God. It was, it was um, by praise, by song, uh, by super, a supernatural star, uh, by angelic announcements, by seeing worship in heaven. All of these events are different expressions of, of honoring Jesus Christ at his first coming. And so th what's important here is that uh, joyful praise was common throughout all of those events. And it was a recognition of God's promises. It was a recognition of God providing salvation to all men. And every one of these instances focuses on sending praise back to God for being faithful and true and for providing a means of salvation. And so that's kind of the, the point of our lesson this morning is Focusing on the things that honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and let me just give you uh, three things quickly as we finish. We ask the question, how do we honor, how do we honor the Lord? And uh, this is a familiar verse, uh, passage of scripture perhaps. You probably wouldn't associate it with Christmas. But there are a variety of ways that people celebrate Christmas. Some don't believe in having a Christmas tree. Some don't believe in exchanging gifts. Um, some do a variety of things, different things. Does that make it wrong? Is any way better than the other? Well, let's listen to Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. All right. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he, he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord 
he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. It's not important whether you have a Christmas tree or not, or whether you exchange gifts or not. What is important is, what are you focusing on? And what are you, what are you trying to lift up? Uh, hopefully it's to honor the Lord and have your perspective aligned with the word of God that God receives all praise and glory for the gift of his son. And keeping Christ in the center of whatever we do is the most important aspect. And that's an opportunity for us to share. Let me take you to another thought at Christmas time. Do you remember during the Passover, um, the Lord established not only the memorial of the Passover, but also he established parental instruction regarding the Passover. All right, so we're going to look at uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 and 20 and 21. And as we read this, I want you to think about it in terms of honoring Christ at Christmas time. This is an opportunity for parental instruction with our children. And so let me read these verses. Of course, they have everything to do with the Passover, but there is a principle that we can apply. Deuteronomy 6, 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Verse 20, And when thy son askest thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Can you translate this into teaching children about the significance of Christmas? Why do we look at a nativity scene? Why do we look at this baby? Why, why do we do these things? And here is an opportunity to instruct our children. All right? And this is the principle. You know, God frequently... Um, had memorials made. Sometimes it was an altar for sacrifice. You remember during uh, when they crossed the Jordan River, they put a pile of rocks in the middle of the river, and then they made another pile on the other side of the Jordan River. And what was the purpose? So we could take our children to that pile of rocks and say there's another one just like it right out in the middle of the Jordan River, and God gave us great deliverance. And so when we talk about Christmas to our children, we have an opportunity to share with them why this babe is significant and what it means to them. A very wonderful opportunity uh, for parental instruction, and I thought that was a wonderful thing. And finally, in Hebrews 13, we have an opportunity to sacrifice for others. Let me just share the verse and then we'll close. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know, 
not only should we worship the Lord and remember his word and his promises and proclaim his name and honor him, but Christmas is also an opportunity to sacrifice for him. All right? Uh, because uh, at Christmas time, there are a lot of organizations that focus on bringing Christmas cheer. There are a lot of opportunities for folks to do something. And maybe some of you in this room, you've given time during your Christmas season to go feed people, maybe through some organization, or maybe Good Samaritan Inn. Some of you participate over there uh, and do things like that. Or perhaps you've contributed to uh, one of the organizations that you know are providing Christmas for people. Maybe you're involved in doing something like that. We shouldn't just limit it to that time of year, but Christmas, this is an opportunity uh, to honor the Lord by sacrificial giving to others during this holiday season. And uh, I just thought that was important as well. How do we honor the Lord? We can honor the Lord by having our, uh, our Christmas uh, focused and correctly aligned with the word of God and, honor and, and proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior of all men if they'll only receive him. It's an opportunity to train our children. It's an opportunity to do something for others. And may the Lord use us <clears throat> in, in the opportunities that we have to do that very thing. Just reflect a little bit about Mary honoring the Lord, magnifying his name. A lot of opportunities for us to glorify the Lord and to share the gospel. And we ought to seize that opportunity and not let it pass.